at the time I was 5'8". I think my normal weight was about 125. And within two weeks, I was 98 pounds. So you could only Whoa. imagine how thin and cachectic I was. So I was just trying to build up my strength. Yeah. But yeah, I got to the point where I was discharged and I got to come home. So that was my whole medical background, like why I think I understand the medical nursing, the whole medical system, yeah. what patients feel like when they're laying there families maybe you lived it right i've been there welcome back to bucketless careers as always i'm happy to be your host krista Laurie. so figuring out your passion in midlife isn't always the hardest component to career reinvention just realizing what it is you feel you were meant to do in vicky victory's case my guest today it was a juggling act to get there doing what it took to get into a nursing program in her 30s, getting the prerequisites done, while overlapping with her career in the airlines as a flight attendant. Not exactly a perfectly timed schedule to deal with. Oh, and she was also raising three kids. This is a very self-aware and determined woman. Vicky's reasons for pursuing healthcare are also multi-layered. In this episode, she honestly emotionally describes a harrowing health experience that for a time left her paralyzed in college and later in life inspired her to care for patients living through those same profound health difficulties. What drives people to achieve bucketless careers can often be very close to the heart. Let's listen. Vicki, hi. Welcome to Bucketless Careers. Appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with me. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love your narrative. And you have several interesting career reinventions, Vicky, to unpack in this one. And we have limited time because, as you know, this is a snack size podcast. So I want to begin with you quitting your first job in radio. I know you recognize like fairly early in your journey, you were in your 20s, I believe, that commission-based work wasn't for you. And then a friend of yours who was a flight attendant suggested you switch gears. Absolutely. All of a sudden, I was like, I, I can't stay here. I can't do this. Do I go back to being a sales assistant? Do I find another sales job? But I also needed to work. I was on my own. I was like in my 20s and I had bills to pay. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, oh, why don't you just apply to be a flight attendant? It'll be so much fun. And I was like, okay. So it was kind of like a little shortstop. I'm going to do this and try to figure out what's next. And then it ended up being 16 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it was anything but a short stop, like a good chunk of your evolution. Yeah, I truly enjoyed it. There was something great about flying and exciting. All those little things you think about, people are like, oh, it must be so exciting. And for the most part, it was. And I loved it. I was in my 20s. I am jetting all over the world making enough money to pay my bills, not really saving any money or anything, but <laughs> I get it. But I'm getting to see the world and meeting so many different people. And, and so that was exciting. So I did that for a while and it was fine. And I ended up meeting my husband through a friend, but moving then to Westchester, I was still flying. And you know what it's like to live in Westchester. I mean, things are not cheap here. It's expensive. And I, I was starting to see the kind of the writing on the wall in the airline industry. So at that time, at least my airline, United Airlines, was going through a bankruptcy. It was not looking good. And even before that, you had worked at ValueJet, which had crash, that horrible yeah. crash in the Everglades swamp. Yeah. You, you were a part of that. So that must have been... Mm -hmm. That was hard. 
you were not supposed to be on that flight or anything like that, but still just traumatic to right. be working for a company going through something rough like that. And I think they ended up going bankrupt, right? Oh, they did. That accident happened. And I think they shut down the airline. I want to say it was within two weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was like in 1996. Yeah. So it was like June of 1996 when they closed down. So once again, here I was unemployed. <laughs> right, right. And then so you landed. Oh, gosh, I can't believe I just said you landed. Yes, <laughs> you have I to take that out of your vernacular, I think, if you work as a flight attendant, right? So you were at United for most of your career. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But then you said something about the writing on the wall. Like, so you knew this was coming to an end for you. Yeah. So, you know, I was watching us take very big concessions. There were obviously issues, upper management, the, the economy. There were a lot of things going on. Yeah. We were a union shop. So we were with the largest union. I think when we passed a 10-year contract, that to me kind of triggered in my head, this is the worst thing that could happen. Who signs a 10-year contract? Who knows what's happening in two years, let alone in 10? So I knew enough to know that this is not good for us. And I, I was so angry when I had heard that this had passed a 10-year contract. There were 26,000 flight attendants, and I couldn't really understand in my mind how people thought this was a good idea. At that point, I was still kind of like, all right, I'm doing this, but I'll start thinking about what's next. Right. Keeping yourself open. The reason I started to is because my best friend had decided herself to go back to nursing school, basically at the same age as myself. Mid-30s. Yes. And she, she had two kids. She actually had a one-year-old and a six-week-old. And I, I was like, are you crazy? Whoa. Like, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> and she was do she got in. I was like, it's brave. Yeah. It's and, brave. And she was doing it. So she was the thing that pushed me over the edge. I was like, all right, so let me do my research here. Cause she lived somewhere else. So how yeah. does this nursing school thing work? You know, I knew a few people that were nurses and, and in this area, it seemed like everybody went to the college nurse shell or they went somewhere else. And so I, I looked into that and it was a four-year degree. And I was like, well, I already have a four-year degree. So I don't want to go to school again for another four years. And they're like, oh, you don't have to. So there's an option to do a two-year. It's also an RN program. And there were actually three here in the area, one at Westchester Community College, one in Mount Vernon, and one in Yonkers. So I got my applications and started to look at them and see, okay, what, what do I need to get into this program? Then I talked to my husband right. and I told him, I said, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to nursing school. And I think he thought I was crazy. <laughs> He's like, he just like kind of yes, we death. Okay. Okay, honey. Sure. Go ahead. Did he look at you as if to say, are you kidding? Or is this real? Or <laughs> I think he just thought I was, you know, panicking, wanting to do something and just being impulsive. So I said, oh, 100%. He was 100%. Yeah. And I know he ended up being supportive, not to knock him for having, you know, that initial reaction. But you yourself have said to me, those kinds of internal struggles were going on in your head. I'm 35 years old. I have three kids and I'm going to go start getting nursing prerequisites at a community college. So how did you get past that and not allow that fear of, you know, the unknown or failure, which is obviously very common with people that are pivoting? How'd you get over that? Well, I started out with trying to finish my prereqs first before getting into the actual core nursing program. So I was missing a few classes because I had a Bachelor of Arts degree. I was missing all the science classes. So I started by signing up at Westchester Community for a, a chemistry class. And I did it online first. I was like, 
I don't know if I'm ready to go into the classroom. Can I even do this? Is my mind going to like work well enough to even be in school? It's been a really long time. So I took the first class online. So the lecture, I took chemistry of all classes online where the lecture was online, but I did have to go in for the lab. So I did have to physically go into the, to the classroom one day a week. And yes, I was the oldest person there. But I I don't know, I just made friends with people, got study groups together, found who my people were going to be. You know, I'm always looking for my resources around me. I think it's so important. I got through the first class and I did great, actually. So I was like, okay, this is good. One step at a time, one class at a time. One class at a time. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to just go all in and get the rest of these prereqs. So I spent the next year doing the rest of my science classes. And then I finished those, but I did them in person. They were a lot harder. I was working full time too. So I was still flying. Oh, so you did overlap. Oh yeah. So I was flying full time, taking these classes. So I finished those and then I applied to all the schools. So it wasn't like the easiest path to get in, but you, you did this to your program and then fast forward to another big chunk of your career. Yeah. You've been in nursing for how many years now? 12 years now. 12 years. You were ill when you were younger, about 18. You said that you had a health issue that led to paralysis. And that experience, what you had to go through, really shaped you. And that was Mm -hmm. part of your reasoning for getting into nursing. Because I think I like to dig into why. Why did you choose this? Because you did say for many, nursing is a calling, but you've listened to this calling later in life. Yeah. So I was a sophomore in college and I got something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's a neuromuscular disease. It has ascending weakness. So it basically started in my feet and my symptoms were basically, I was having like numbness and tingling where I kept just like tripping over my feet and I didn't really know what was happening. And I thought, oh, I just like laid on it wrong. It felt like, you know, when your arm falls asleep or your leg falls asleep, it was that feeling and you're trying to shake it off. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it wasn't helping. And over the next couple of days, it got worse. It got to a point I was so sick. My entire body was hurting and aching. It got to a point where I literally couldn't get out of bed. So they took me to the infirmary and it was so fast within 30 minutes. I mean, I, they could see something was wrong with me. They took me to the back did a few little tests. The next thing I knew, I was in the ICU. So frightening. Yeah. So they did some testing and then, you know, officially diagnosed me. I spent uh, about a month there. Each day I got weaker and weaker and weaker. And what ends up happening, it affects the respiratory muscles as well. So that's why they always put these patients in the ICU because you will not be able to breathe. You have all your faculties. So I could hear everything. I could see everything. I could understand everything going on around me, but I could not speak. I could not move. I could not talk or eat. You know, each day they would test me to, to check my strength. And so what usually happens is each person gets to their weakest point and each person can be a little different. Sometimes it only affects the lower extremities. Sometimes it goes all the way up. You just don't really know what's going to happen. So mine clearly went all the way up to my head. I was also having a lot of pain because with this disorder, the myelin sheath is eaten away from the nerves and that is the protective coating of your nerves. And so my nerves were basically all inflamed all over my entire body. So I was having a lot of pain. Consequentially, they were giving me narcotics. When you take narcotics for pain, it also affects the respiratory drive, which then made it harder for me to breathe. 
So it became this push and pull. Yeah, you're in pain, but no, we can't treat you because you're going to stop breathing or we're going to intubate you. So I was like very close to being intubated and they actually held off. They never intubated me, but I can tell you that uh, it felt like there was an elephant laying on top of me at all times and I could barely breathe. So I think they thought I was, had stabilized. So there was nothing left to do, really. Send me to rehab and see if I get better. Yeah. So they sent me to a rehab center in Southern Virginia, a very well-known place. And I had a six-hour drive there, got there, was placed in a room there, and you basically live there. And I'm basically now learning to live with my disabilities that I have now. And that was pretty much I couldn't talk, couldn't eat, couldn't move nothing. I had no bowel function, bladder function. I had lost function of everything. So I don't even think I was there a week. They were trying to feed me and I aspirated. So off I went in the ambulance to the closest hospital, which was at the time at the University of Virginia uh, Medical Center. So I was in a great place there. I spent the next month there, but I did start to get better. And I actually started to get strength back. I actually got to the point in a month where I was able to actually stand up with assistance. I was talking, being able to use my hands again, being able to feed myself. So I went back to rehab, back to the same place, spent a month there. And while I was there, I had another relapse where I literally went back down to nothing. So they sent me back to the UVA Medical Center. I spent another month there. And again, I got better. And then I had to go back to rehab again spent a little more time there, just getting stronger, learning how to walk. I was in a wheelchair a lot. It was difficult to walk. It was exhausting, tiring. I was weak. I weighed 98 pounds, I think. At the time I was 5'8". I think my normal weight was about 125. And within two weeks, I was 98 pounds. So you could only imagine how thin and cachectic I was. So I was just trying to build up my strength. Yeah. I got to the point where I was discharged and I got to come home. So that was my whole medical background, like why I think I understand the medical nursing, uh, the whole medical system, what patients feel like when they're laying there, families maybe. You lived it, right. I've been there. Yeah, it was was hard. Still emotional to me. Of course. I mean, I'm listening to this. I can't imagine that that wouldn't stay with you for your whole life. Yeah. And I actually don't want to forget about it. I, I try not to. Right. I was going to say you are, you know, healthy now and yeah. you're doing great and such. But like, does that ever go away? No, I, I can't no. imagine. And I would get why you want to help others. And I applaud that, you know, and I think you have to look at it like this possibly happened so that I could do good. Yeah. And be there as a caring individual in a medical capacity. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry that I'm bringing up this story that brings it back up to the surface, but we appreciate you sharing with us. You got stronger, you went through school and, and, you know, that part of your life has now served you in this really amazing pivot that you say lights you up. Like you love being a nurse. I do. You have said you found now, I guess this is your third facility in your 12-year career as a nurse, the support you were always looking for, the the challenges every day are there. But tell me why this is your bucket list career. I do have the work-life balance. Yes. Take away COVID. <laughs> that was a little difficult, but for the most part, I can at least like you said, I'm in the facility I like to be in. I, I have a great team that I work with in my department and we support each other. And it's, it's such a 
team atmosphere where I work, it kind of can't work any other way. And that's kind of the way I'm built. So I really like that. But I do know that as my life changes and as my needs and my family's needs change, I can always find a new spot as a nurse. Right now, I'm happy where I am. But, you know, at some point, I might want to do something different in nursing. And I know that I can because I have all the background of critical care. I've had some management experience. I've had a, a lot of different things. I've worked in an emergency room. So I can pretty much go anywhere. Mm-hmm. with my skills. Yeah, I know that. But like I said, I'm happy where I am right now. And so nursing is so broad. We joked earlier, I, I can't do my job remotely, but actually we can. It's changing. Yeah. So there are some things you can do it as a nurse remotely. There are nurses that work in the corporate world, school nurses, you know, hospitals, doctor's offices. There are nurses that work for insurance companies where patients just call. It's almost like a triage system where people aren't sure, should I go to the hospital? Should I go to the doctor? Is this okay? What can I do? So there's so many different options. There's so many different departments. You know, you get sick of one and you're tired. You can go to another, you know, like I said, I worked in the emergency room and that was hard. I worked in a trauma center and I, I seen a lot. I was exhausted. You can get burnt out working in an emergency room for a long time. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try something different. And I worked nights then. And I was like, I'm going to go to the day shift and I'm going to go work in a doctor's office. And somehow I didn't really get the job I originally applied for. I applied for the nurse job at the doctor's facility. It was with WestMed. And somehow I walked out of that interview as a new manager. I I don't even really, in my mind, I'm still (laughs) trying to go back through that interview in my mind. And she kept telling me, but you know, I really need a manager. And I really think you can do this. You have managed an ER as a charge nurse. You've done this and this and this. And she got me to drink the Kool-Aid. And I was, I kind of was like, yeah, I can do this. So I came home from my interview and I told my husband, I was like, okay, so I took the job as the manager. I was like, he goes, you what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I don't really know how that happened. So I, you know, I tried it. I did it for a little while. I just realized that I need to be at the bedside. I need to be with patients. So, and I think we'd have to wrap with this because we're probably going a little over, but what would you say served you the best in terms of how you talked yourself out of giving up? I always knew I I could always go back to flying. I ended up taking the furlough. So halfway through school, by the way, I did get the furlough from school. So I was still attached to the airline, just not working. And I still had a four-year degree in business. So I, I was like, okay, well, I'm not dumb. I can find something. I can always work. So I had to take a chance. But I also had a little, you know, in the back of my mind, I I always knew I could go back to flying, which I had enjoyed doing. I knew it wasn't probably the best career for me, but I enjoyed it. And I wasn't unhappy when I was doing that. It just financially, it wasn't the best thing for me. That was the problem. So right. I knew I could go back. And actually, they called me back to work the same week I got my first offer for a nursing job, they said, you can either come back to work or take another two years. So I took another two years. Why wouldn't I? I was like, well, what if I start nursing and I hate it? What if I really don't like it? I know I've done all this work. There are a few people that I went to school with that did it and got through it and they decided it wasn't for them. So I didn't know. Do you ever really know that something's perfect for you? No. So I always had a plan that if it didn't work out, I could go back and either try something different or just 
stay with flying, you know. So you kept doors open for yourself simultaneously while pursuing nursing. So you had that backup. And as you said, you didn't hate flying, but there were just certain aspects of it. So that is very interesting and great advice, too, (laughs) for someone that would prefer to give it a try before they let go of another industry. Right. I would love to keep talking, but we're going to have to end here. So I just want to say thank you so much for being so open with us, Vicki, about everything and walking us through your journey. There's just a lot of wisdom there for our listeners that I'm excited to share with them. So thanks for your time. And I'm so glad we did this. Thanks so much. I'm always happy and grateful to have you joining me here on Bucket List Careers. If you're not already a follower on social media, very easy to find us at Bucket List Careers on Instagram and Facebook or tweet me at Krista Laurie. We'll have a fresh episode on Thursday. Be well. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.